4: Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face.
0: Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andrew Ruiz is the
4: Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing.
0: When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's
4: Chris Mannix.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We have a really, really strong show lined up for you this week. Eddie Hearn. Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. Eddie is always in the middle of everything. And he is, again, this week as the promoter for Canelo Alvarez. I talked to Eddie about what exactly happened in the negotiations between Canelo and Caleb Plant. And if the Plant fight falls through, what is option B for Canelo Alvarez? Stick around for that with Eddie Hearn. A little bit later, Michael Hunter, the former U.S. Olympian heavyweight contender. He returns to the ring on Tuesday. Mike's had a very interesting last couple of years from the draw he had against Alexander Pavekin to being released by Matroom matchroom as a result of it. Now he's back working with Triller and trying to get his heavyweight title shot. I talked to Michael Hunter about that and much more. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, one easy way you can support it, Get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. All right. Eddie Hearn is here. Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. He will promote the first of three consecutive weekends of Fight Camp, beginning on Saturday with the show headlined by 126-pound champion Khan against lee wood all those fights taking place in eddie's backyard at matchroom hq and all of which can be seen only on the zone and eddie after i uh stalked him for most of this week is uh joining me here on the show hey eddie what's going on
5: well good mate as i said to you just off air you know little one fight fell off the card with a little covid test it seems to be a a, a regular thing now unfortunately the cases are spiking again in the uk but we crack on. We got a great card on Saturday night. And uh, as you said, ready to start the shows in the garden this weekend. Not the Madison Square Gardens, the Matrim Square Garden.
0: Matrim Square Gardens. I want to get into Fight Camp and why you're continuing. But you mentioned Connor Ben uh, testing positive for COVID. He was the headliner for the first Fight Camp weekend. Do you have any strategy for how to deal with this stuff moving forward? Because it is going to happen. But if it happens to, to fighters that are unvaccinated, do you feel like as a promoter who's putting money up that you have to protect yourself in some ways? Because here in the United States, uh, the NFL just recently released some rules that effectively made unvaccinated players second class citizens. Where if they test positive, there are financial penalties for it. I mean, do you have any, any of those plans kind of in your mind as you move forward I mean, in this I pandemic?
5: Mean, I was arguing with my dad that, you know, he's a big believer in, in getting vaccinated. He, he can't get his head around. What, why on earth wouldn't you get vaccinated? I, I'm a believer that I, I agree, but I, think, I still think it should be everyone's personal choice, quite frankly. Um, but at the same time, fighters are a little bit concerned about the vaccination process for two reasons. Number one is it can make you feel slightly unwell for a couple of days. And also it can make you test positive in the short term. So... Most fighters and Connor Ben, one of them, and Campbell Hatton, another actually, I spoke to today, are booking in their vaccinations for after their fights. It's only when a disaster happens, like today, when you think, oh, you know, you could have. But to be honest, Chris, I also know several people that have tested positive who have been double vaccinated, you know, and in that case, you still can't fight. Now, I know that it can stop, you know, the, the likelihood of you getting COVID, but just because you're double vaccinated doesn't mean you're not going to test and doesn't mean you're, you're going to be able to fight. So I think in an ideal world, and, and actually this was another conversation I had with, with my dad about 10 minutes ago was, are we going to get to a stage where the commissions, in our case, the British boxing board of control would take a stance like the NFL and say all license holders must be vaccinated. I mean, that is something that they, they may do. It's very controversial. You know, I mean, Britain's not America and America's not Britain, but, you know, certain, I think that would not go down well here, but, you know, I feel like in an ideal world, perhaps everyone would be vaccinated and we, we might not have as many problems, but I don't believe those problems would be eradicated, to be quite honest. And I think this is going to happen this week, next week, the week after, you know, and, and, and onwards. And we have to come up with a resolution. Sometimes. For instance, on Saturday night, we have such a stacked card. You know, we've actually replaced the main event with a world title fight. But in instances of perhaps September 25th with Joshua Usyk, when you've got a stadium and 65,000 people, it's a different, different kind of cat of fish when something like that goes wrong.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of money that is on the line. And we've seen Triller lose a lot of money because of the Tafima Lopez withdrawal, we've seen both ESPN Fox top rank and wilder lose money with that fight falling apart. Uh, I, 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 you're right. It is controversial. Like maybe it sh- I don't think it should be, but it is controversial at this point. Uh, I just wonder if there's, if there's going to be an evolution of how promoters treat these types of circumstance, but we'll see. It's still, it's obviously still uh, very much a work in progress. Um, I want to get into your fight camp, but I, you know, the big news here in the U.S. And, and globally, really, is what's going on with Canelo Alvarez. You are the promoter of Canelo Alvarez. There's, there's a lot out there right now, but I want to kind of ask you if you know specifically what has caused the stalemate in these talks between Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant.
5: Well, the, the, the easy answer to that is that the, you know, all the terms requested weren't agreeable on, on various sides. You know, my relationship with Canelo Alvarez, which stems over his last three fights, has been tremendous. We made an offer to PBC to do the fight on the Zone. Um, PBC made an offer to Canelo Alvarez to do the fight on Fox. I discussed that offer with Eddie Reynoso and, and Canelo. We agreed to move forward with that offer. At that point, as, as my conversation with Sal went, I'm, I'm his promoter, you know, I'm, I'm on the team. But effectively, I'm not promoting the show because it's a PBC show, which I have no problem with because legacy is more important at this point. And um, when the contracts come through, it just, it wasn't agreed on both sides. Nothing, you know, I've seen the comments from Caleb Plant. I'm sure Sal's got his own opinions of, of those comments as well. But all the important thing is it couldn't be agreed and it couldn't be agreed for September the 18th. And now we're in the position of, okay. do we see if that fight is possible for October, November? Or do we try and fight on September the 18th as well, which ultimately is Sal's date? Um, The good news for Sal is he's been very active. So, you know, like many fighters at the moment who may have only boxed once in the last 12 months, to lose a slot is quite sort of... uh, concerning. It's not really for sale. you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the possibility of him fighting in September and December but if he only fights once more this year, I don't think it's going to crush him, you know um, but I think the period of what is it now, it's probably 36 hours or something like that since that fight broke down, now it's just a a case of sort of readjusting mentally and physically and emotionally and saying, okay, what are the options for September the 18th? Will I move forward with that date? Will I continue to explore the K-Level plant fight? And many options on the table.
0: Do you believe he will fight September 18th, or do you believe he will continue to negotiate with Plant to try to get a fight later in the year?
5: Well, that's the fight he wants. You know, He he wants to become undisputed champion. So I do think he'll give that every opportunity to, to exist, that fight, but at the same time... You know, I think, Chris, to be honest with you, I think if he hadn't boxed twice already this year, I think he would he would be booking in September the 18th. But I just, it's fresh. It's too fresh at the moment. You know, it's too early to say. But it is also seven weeks on Saturday. So, and, and also, our DAZN schedule is waiting and based a lot around what might happen in September, as you know, so... You know, we've got August 28th planned. We've got Dillian White fighting in America. We're trying to schedule Chocolatito Estrada three, you know, Demetrius Andre, Detmin Haney. So, but a lot of it is based around, let's just see, as many people, that you know, let's see what Canelo does and then we'll work everything else around that. So we, we all would like to uh, get some clarity and, and I'm sure Sal would as well and, and he'll make his decision shortly.
0: If Canelo goes on September 18th, in your mind, is it Dmitry Bivol that he will face?
5: Not necessarily, but that's definitely um, a strong option. I mean, before the plan uh, offer was effectively accepted, Dimitri Bivol was the fight that we as DAZN were pushing as an alternative. Dimitri Bivol was on board with that fight. I think it's a very good fight. Um, there are some other options at 168 pounds. But Dimitri Bivol was certainly a fight. You know, Can- Canelo's got a knack for facing champions. And I think he loves to do it. And Dmitry and Bivol is a great champion at 175 pounds. So that would definitely be an option. But again, when we talk about time frame in seven weeks, Dimitri Bivol is in training. But there's going to be some point where Dimitri Bivol turns around and says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm out for September 18th. And that is probably very soon, to be quite honest.
0: There was a report that Gennady Golovkin said he would be ready to go in September if Canelo wanted to complete the trilogy with Triple G. Uh, you have a relationship with Gennady, though after you went after him a little bit after the Demetrius Andrade fight, I wonder what that relationship looks like now. Um, wh- is, is that a possibility at this point?
5: I don't believe for this September, no. I mean, I know Gennady's focused on the Murata fight, in December, um, I think that's a fight that, that will always have relevance as long as they're both fighting. You know, it could be a fight for, for May next year but I think you know the ultimate, the, the next decision is do we fight September 18th or do we just relax and, and sort of take on the chin that we'll just fight one more time this year and see if the plant fight changes direction and um, you know, I'm sure I'll have further conversations with Eddie and, and Sarah over the next 24, 48 hours.
0: You know, a couple of things I want to hit you on. One is Tefima Lopez, his title defense against George Cambosis is oh, a mess, man. right? A mess, oh, total mess. There is at least a chance that Triller could default on its bid. If it does, there is a scenario where the next highest bid would be declared the winner. That would be you. If that were to happen, would you have interest in putting on Lopez versus Kambosis?
5: Possibly. I mean, I for, the, mean, for,
0: the, for the listening audience, that was a long pause Why, Eddie, yeah, uh, it was. Eddie yeah. contemplated I mean, the answer. There
5: was nothing wrong with my connection. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't know. You know, sometimes when something's such a mess, you're better off just staying out of it. You know, so you are right. It seems like Triller want to do the fight in Australia, which right now, logistic, I don't know, even know. If that exists, but I mean, what a mess. You know, you've got a guy who beat Vasily Lomachenko, who was celebrating the fact that he was going to make an absolute fortune for the fight. You've got George Cambosis, whose life was about to be completely changed by a monstrous seven-figure payday. It all fell apart again, you know, through through a positive COVID test. Right now probably seems like Triller don't really want to spend the money on that fight looking in as a fan and then the next answer to the core question to us is do you want to spend the money on that fight um the market changes Chris every day you know one day everyone wants to spend a load of money the next day everyone's going that's that's ridiculous money and actually we're going to bat them down the hatches and and that's just boxing um In answer to your question, I'm not sure, but it's something we'd certainly consider. Ultimately, it would be a DAZN decision because that purse bid was backed by DAZN. We're not obligated to do it, by the way, because it doesn't really suit our schedule anymore. But mm. in that instance, if the IBF wrote to me and said, you are the second bidder, do you want to do this fire? We would go to DAZN and, and get their decision.
0: You parachuted into that purse bid to make an aggressive bid for Lopez Cambosis. There was... Uh, news recently that terence crawford and sean porter uh, have been ordered to fight for the wbo belt top rank of course will try to cut a deal with pbc to make that fight happen but there is a possibility that that could go to a purse bid as well you've been aggressive eddie at putting on these marquee fights in fact every time we've spoken you have said you believe that's the best strategy going forward just to look for tentpole events is that a purse bid you would consider getting involved in
5: We have a very uh, sensible approach to these fights in the sense of we will bid what we believe the commercial value of that fight is. In boxing, that doesn't really exist a lot, to be honest with you. And Cambosa's against uh, Lopez is a good example of that. So we will talk to Dazone In answer to your question, yes, I think we would probably bid on that fight. We would talk to Dazone, and we would establish the value of that fight. Now, that value is based on, quite frankly, the subscribers it would drive. Terence Crawford has never been a pay-per-view fighter on ESPN. We saw his numbers against Amir Khan were we're very poor. But he's also a tremendous fighter. And he's not really had many great dance partners. Here he has one in Sean Porter. You know, he's probably coming to the back end of his career. Very tough. He's well-known. It's a good fight. So we will weigh up our options. We will speak to the zone and we will establish the the true value of that fight. And that's what we'll bid. You know, it won't be a um, genital measuring contest, you know, where it's sort of (laughs) like, I don't know if you can put that in, but, you know, it won't be like, you can, good. Uh, But it's like, you know, oh, I'm going to bid this much and I'm going to put it on. So it's not, we, we bid the right money. And you know what, Chris, when you bid the right money, you pay your bills. Right, you don't all hope it doesn't happen. Oh my God, I I I can't tell you how many people I see win purse bids, right, and then phone me up and go, Oh look, I know I beat you in the purse bid, but do you want to do the fight? He's like, What? Why did you even bid? Just because you could say you won it? You know, there's a saying in England, I love it. It's called fur coat no knickers, right, which means you walk in, you know, with a big fur coat and then you go like that. You've got nothing underneath, you've got no substance. And the other great saying is one from Warren Buffett, who says, When the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. It's my favorite quote of all time. This boxing game is full of people with no substance. Not you, Chris, you're all
0: right. Yeah, I appreciate that, at least at least while you're looking at me virtually through the eye in the eye when you say that. <laughs> um, let's talk about fight camp uh, coming up this weekend. This was an idea of course, that was spawned out of necessity last summer when the world went into lockdown, but here you are continuing it this summer with these three shows over the next three weeks. Why was this something that made sense to continue when you theoretically could go back into venues and potentially make more money off a gate?
5: That's a good question. So I did actually think that to myself yesterday. Um, but I just, we loved it. And it was such a great focal point during the pandemic. It's such a great advert for our business. I mean, it's from our headquarters here in the UK, in the garden with fireworks going off. This time we're allowed 250 fans per night. You know, I made I made the uh, tickets quite expensive because you are getting to come into my garden, quite frankly. And um, I just-
0: Can they, use, just, your, can they use your bathroom?
5: Uh, or some other ones we've built down in the field Fair. somewhere. You know, but- it's, it's really, it's just an important statement from our business. Fight Camp's become its own brand, and we wanted to do it again, and I think, come Saturday night, when you see it, and you see the production, and you see how good it looks from those drones, it's, 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 it's proud, you know, we're very proud of what we have here, and we're proud to be staging, now. every week is a world championship fight, so we have three consecutive world championship fights in our garden, and Yes, we, we created this out of the pandemic. But at the same time, it's, it's become a regular fixture, or we believe it will become a regular fixture, and, and something that we, we're quite well-renowned for, particularly in the UK, because when we did it last year, there was a huge amount of publicity because it was so bizarre.
0: You had a, um, a lot of publicity in the last couple of weeks and this week, you know, because this fight camp is the... Uh, official launch of DAZN in the UK, first fights on DAZN in the UK. Um, We've heard a lot about the global strategy of DAZN, which makes a lot of sense because they are in a lot of different countries, which has led, though, some people here in the US, an audience in the US, to wonder just what Eddie Hearn's interest or commitment now is in the US because you have a really strong stable in the UK, but nothing on the calendar yet in the U.S., and you, I think you'd admit your stable among U.S. fighters is less than what it is with U.K. fighters. What would you say your and zone strategy is in the U.S. moving forward?
5: Well, we have a long-term commitment in the U.S., and I find it quite funny because I saw someone the other day saying, oh, Matchroom, you know, they're not really doing a lot in the U.S. It's like, well, it wasn't so long ago. We just did 74,000 for Billy Joe Saunders against Canelo mm-hmm. Alvarez. Now, the truth is, as I've said, I've got three shows ready to go, but we are waiting on Canelo because everything around the subscription business is getting the timing right of dropping those events in. We also have a new commitment from The Zone for our Mexico shows, of which the first one was a big success. There's another one coming at the end of August as well. So the commitment is absolutely there in America. We've just got smarter. We've got more efficient. You know, you remember back in the day, Chris, we came in gun ho No one knew who we were. No one knew who the zone was. We was paying outrageous money for fights that, quite frankly, weren't worth it. But it's what we had to do. Now we've got a solid, considerable subscriber base. We have to just make the right moves, smart moves for the schedule. A lot of that is built around Canelo Alvarez. And like I said, you know, we have three shows ready to drop. We'll do that in the next few days once we decide what Canelo Alvarez is doing. But the commitment in, in America does not change, does not wane. And we have a contract with the zone who are fully committed to America after riding out a tough period in the pandemic and have got themselves back in a tremendous position following Callum Smith, Abney Yildry, Canelo, and Billy Joe Saunders against Canelo Alvarez. And quite frankly, I believe the Zone have built a fantastic brand in America. I think they've now established themselves as a real top value for money platform. For fight fans, I mean, do you not believe that the days of pay-per-view outside of the real superstars are quite frankly over? I mean, we're in a period now of boxing in America where people are championing 150 or 200,000 pay-per-view buys. I mean, that's not good for driving a profile of a fighter, is it? Like, you know, I mean, and also, by the way, when I look at the DAZN numbers, and I know they don't release them and, you know, you're on the team, but they're consistently outperforming showtime you know, on a lot of their shows. They're consistently outperforming the pay-per-views. So DAZN are, are a fantastic platform now um, in, in America. They have global ambition. For DAZN, it's not about the US or the UK for boxing. It's about the global platform and the global home of boxing. It's so unique what they're doing. Um, but we look forward to announcing our sort of autumn schedule um, but we do have to wait and they want to know what Canelo is doing first before we do so. But fully committed to our US stable, fully committed to the US business, but also not gun-ho anymore. And you, know, you, you made a good point about picking the right fights, if you like, and doing that by purse bids as well, because sometimes you don't want long-term commitment from, from, you know, or, or long-term responsibility or liability for fighters to fight this many times and this money and this money and this money when you live in a world where you can pick and choose the right fights that are going to drive subscribers. And, and you know, I think they've done a great job.
0: You make the point about pay-per-view numbers being down, and you're right, but that hasn't stopped promoters from going on pay-per-view. We're going to have probably four Chris, in the
5: next four months. None of the numbers make sense, right? I know what fighters, what promoters are paying, you know, in terms of guarantees. And I don't know whether they're just got this secret pocket in their, in their trousers or if they're just gung-ho but you look at the numbers that the pay-per-views are generating that doesn't add up to the purses that the fighters are getting <laughs> and that's how we run our business because that's how I've been taught to run my business off a of P&L and a proper balance sheet not one that you worry about after hopefully it'll do this and oh oh, oh. oh how did we do that Well, oh, we lost 10 million marvellous you know, don't worry about it, we'll do another one. Like this is, that's, that's the business that we operate in. It's madness. But, you know, when you're talking about doing 100,000 pay-per-view buyers, you're talking about, th- you know, 3 million or 4 million in revenue. When you've got two guys in there making over 10 million, you know, uh, baffled. And I'm, I'm such, a, I don't believe pay-per-view is dead anywhere. But certain pay-per-views, And this goes the same in the UK as well. I've been battling for years, doing pay-per-views that I stand by delivered value for money, but in the grand scheme of things, probably weren't pay-per-views. But it was the only way to do them. And I don't blame PBC and ESPN because the purses have gone so out of control. You can't do certain fights within your TV deal. But particularly in the UK, I've now been able to do a TV deal where we don't have to rely on pay-per-view to do events that should actually be part of your subscription. If you look at Canelo Alvarez, if you're a DAZN subscriber, you've just watched three Canelo Alvarez fights over five months. Right? In any other world, it's $80 a night. It's $240 for those three. They've been part of your subscription. It's, it's unrivaled value for money. It's such a good offering and platform for a fight fan. Um, what
0: what's the solution though for i mean you look at it's not your platform it's not your responsibility but uh you know espn's probably not going to commit the kind of money needed to do crawford versus porter uh certainly fox you know they're not they're putting everything on pay-per-view that's any even remotely substantial i mean what what's the solution besides crossing your fingers and hoping you can bleed your audience a little bit more
5: that is that is what you're doing And, and every time you do one you're digging a bigger hole you know, then, then a fight will come around, Pacquiao-Spence. That's pay-per-view. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah. No problem. Right, But now, Chris, you're living in a world where you know, if Plant against Canelo Alvarez went ahead on September 18th, you would have been going August 22 for Pacquiao against Spence. Now you would have gone with a circus, uh, Oscar de la Hoya, on September the 11th. Right? Not saying it's going to do loads of buys, but it, listen, it will create interest. Then you would have gone September the 18th with Canelo against Plan. Then you would have gone October 9th with Fury Wilder. Like, at what point do you have to take this on the chin and say, this just isn't working anymore? We can't just randomly do events and hope for the best. That's not a business model. Some fights are pay-per-view, some fights aren't. But the only way that you can, you know, you say to a fighter is, tell you what, I'll put it on pay-per-view and you own the show and and let's see what it generates. But the fighters now want a guarantee. Do you know what I mean? And the guarantee doesn't add up unless you're willing to take a risk or you have some other means to pay the bills. And, and that's not a game we want to play. That's why we work with a broadcaster where we don't need to take a risk on pay-per-view, right? We have the guaranteed funds to make sure everything works within the business model and it works for them. And it's still at the start of the journey. We've done three years in America. We haven't even done one show yet in the UK you know, six in Mexico, four in Italy, four in Spain, Australia, Germany, it's all coming. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's not, this is a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Uh, I tell you the idea of, of percentages on pay-per-view is where you and Bob Arum agree. You know, Bob had, I've mm. had many conversations with him about, you know, sh- he'd be willing to do 90 10 in terms of split, as long as there's no guarantee mm. on the money. And that's just not acceptable to some fighters last question for you. And I won't go through your entire stable, but, I swear to God, I'm just fascinated by your relationship with Mikey Garcia. Like, uh, you could almost write a book on, you know, the Mikey business model of kind of picking and choosing. But you, you're the promoter of his last fight, which was February of 2020. Since then, it feels like Mikey, who's out there, constantly talks about what he might be doing next. There was a report from ESPN that Mikey and Regis Progre could be in play. You didn't mention that when you were talking about your fall schedule. Is that something that's still in play?
5: That, that's a good example of a fight that you know, you'll go to the broadcaster with. They're two guys that aren't under contract to us. And we would say, here's a fight that's in the marketplace. What do you perceive the value of that fight to be? And then you go back to the guys and give them the number, which would always be, what? As a response. But you know, we've done a Mikey Garcia fight against Jesse Vargas. That was back in a period that we talked about earlier where we were extremely aggressive and probably playing the, paying the wrong money for fights. But I do like Mikey Garcia-Regis program. I think it's a really good fight. Um, it's just got to add up to the other fights we have planned for the schedule, other obligations we have with our actual fighters, you know, rather than guys that, that we don't have contracts with. Um, and that's where that priority has to lie. But I can't lie to you and tell you that I'm not interested in Mikey Garcia-Regis program. I think it's a really fun fight. It just goes back to the value of that fight. You know, and no one will ever agree on that value from the broadcaster to the agent, to the manager, to the fighter. But ultimately, that fight is dictated by the market. You know, the market value is what the broadcaster will pay for that fight. Good fight. Not ruling it out. Not sure if it will be part of our autumn schedule.
0: Well, first up is fight camp. Eddie, good luck. The last round of fight camps were, were really well matched, uh, to say the least. Uh, a lot of people are introduced to guys like Ted Cheeseman, and a lot of good women's fights uh, were on those cards. Hopefully, you get the same results This time around. Thanks for joining me, man. And we'll see you uh, when you get back stateside. Thanks, Chris. When we come back, my conversation with Michael Hunter. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply what's up everybody
6: this is stephen a smith when i'm not at my day job first take, you can find me in my studio hosting the stephen a smith show podcast And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.
4: FanDuel Sportsbook is hooking up new users with an epic summer games bonus. Just place your first bet on any summer game sport risk-free. Risk-free. That's right. New users up to 1000 bucks back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win. To get you started, here's my pick. In the men's 100-meter, Trayvon Bromwell, currently the favorite at plus 110 to win gold. I like him but you could bet on any event basketball baseball soccer track and field and more promotions like this just one of the reasons why i love betting america's number one sports book easy to use safe and secure super fast payout you get paid in as little as 24 hours download the fanduel sportsbook app it's easy i've got it in my phone i use it every day the fanduel sportsbook app promo code please colin Colin go for the gold today. Promo code Collin, C-O-L-I-N. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, or New Jersey. Must wager in designated offer market. $10 first deposit required, 150 max bonus. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gaming problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. And 1-800-GAMBLER in Jersey.
0: All right, joining me now is Michael Hunter, 2012 U.S. Olympian heavyweight contender on tuesday mike returns to face mike wilson that's a fight at madison square garden you can see only on triller pot of triller's new boxing series that launches this week and mike joins me here uh, on the show mike good to see you man
7: likewise likewise
0: so i want to get into your fight but we're talking in the middle of the olympics which is an experience you had back in 2012 and uh, you know, as far as uh, Olympics goes, it was a difficult one for USA Boxing. No men finished with with medals during that period. When you look back at your Olympic boxing experience, h- how do you view it?
7: Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good one. Uh, you know, you have to deal with a lot. You know, like you said, there's, like, there's a lot of things going on. You know, we train our whole lives for this very short window. And um, it's very political as well. So um, you know, it's uh, it's not the it's probably one of the hardest things to do is to compete in the Olympics and and, and uh, you know come out with the um, with, with a grin. Um, you know, it's a lot of things going up and leading up and towards the Olympics. So it's very difficult, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's in. It's like that for all different sports, and everybody has their own little uh, political situations.
0: What What would you say? I mean, it's probably hard to characterize in a short amount of time. But that was a team with a lot of talent. I mean, you were on that team. You're a heavyweight contender. Errol Spence was on that team. Jojo Diaz was on that team uh Jamel Herring was on that team. There was real talent on that USA boxing team. What what went
7: wrong there? Uh I think there was a lot of it had to do with the uh USA bo- boxing coaching staff. Um you know, uh there's a lot of people fighting for position uh and you know, it's not very money-based driven. Um you know, so it's a lot of toe-stepping and um you know uh you know, I was uh, in in court, actually, with USA Boxing at the time, uh, you know, competing for USA Boxing against USA Boxing. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a very difficult situation.
0: Yeah, it, and that continued in 2016 as well. I remember working that event for NBC, and, you know, you'd, you'd watch a fight happen, and then I'd walk in the back, and I'd see the personal coaches that were there It just – the anger on their face over some of the outcomes and how they came about was, was noticeable.
7: Yeah. It's, you know, that's another thing too. A lot of the homegrown coaches who got them there, uh, get their power taken away Mm -hmm. immediately. And there's not much that they can do about it. And, you know, uh, it's, it's not, you know, sometimes these guys are very close to their coaches. They grew up to their, with their coaches, they know what to say and how to talk to them and, Uh, what to communicate with their coaches so uh, I think that USA boxing at that time wasn't developed enough uh, and uh, you know there was a lot of different uh, politics you know people trying to get in position for you know uh, you know different uh, jobs and stuff like that so it was a very difficult uh, thing Um, you know they're always threatening the uh, uh, the athletes uh, positions you know, the whole time, you know, that you could lose your spot if you don't do this, if you don't comply to this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and, the, and, and, the, and I think the coaches are on some type of um, similar situation. So it's very difficult. Yeah,
0: I, I've been covering Olympic boxing for about 10 years. I still don't know how guys qualify. I, I couldn't tell you, like, how it all works out. Like, you win one tournament, but you don't qualify unless you win another. It, it's just so – so bonkers, and so many athletes have gotten caught up in all that. It's funny you mentioned kind of those uh, the relationships fighters have with their personal coaches. I just remember, you know, and, and even in Rio, it was relatively quiet in some of uh, during some of those USA boxing matches, and you could hear the personal coaches like screaming instructions between rounds while the USA boxing coach was doing his own thing. And I would imagine that if a fighter can hear his personal coach he is likely to be listening to that guy or man or woman than he is the coach standing right in front of him, who he frankly probably doesn't know all that well.
7: And sometimes they, you know, that's how they plan. They plan to, uh, you know, to to set it up like that. Hey, don't listen to the guy in the corner. And uh, it's a very hard situation. I think they should uh, need to, uh, to figure out what's the best way to compete? You know um, I think that that's been a problem for USA boxing for quite some time. Uh, And you know, they haven't quite got it down. I I haven't, I don't know about the uh, last couple of years coming up, but uh, it seemed to be a problem uh, quite for quite some time before my, my Olympic year. So.
0: Yeah, I would agree. All right. So you are now in a pretty good position and it's good for you because a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, I wasn't sure what was going to happen to you. Take me back to, you know, the last year and a half or so. You are in Saudi Arabia, you fight Alexander Pavekin, and then afterwards you get released by Matchroom and and what are you thinking then?
7: I I think it was I was okay with it. Um, you know, I've had been I've been let go before. Um, you know, I had a great run with uh Matchroom. Um, you know, they were they were um, pretty, they were fair you know, they were fair with me and um the contract, you know, it just was coming to an end. Usually, you know, they try to, you know, get you extended. But I think that uh I, you know, um I kind of I did I I I I peaked at um match boxing and I kinda knew that, you know. Um so them letting me go was a a telltale sign and a clear sign that I had outgrown them. So what do you mean by that you peaked? Uh I just feel like that, you know, I wasn't really I wasn't like obviously a fighter like Dillian White or uh a guy that was really embraced by Matchroom. I was more of a guy that um, you know, uh just went to work, you know what I'm saying? They called me and uh you know, I didn't really have a say so on much of who or what and where and when to fight. Um you know, I fought on uh, which was crazy. I fought harder fights than Philip Hergovich, and uh, and I was on the undercard, you know. Uh, I was on fought below them. So, um, you know, when I easily could have just fought him at that point, you know. Um, so it was very uh, – that's what I kind of mean by I kind of outgrown it. I kind of had where my stock had came to a point to where they were either going to have to fully embrace me, and um, you know, give me some some type of opportunity. You know, my rankings was uh, had gotten up gone up there, and uh, they barely uh, skid by with the draw to uh, move on with the Dillian White and Povetkin fight um, because you know I basically allowed that fight to happen. Mm. Uh, you know, Dillian White wouldn't have no fights uh, if I didn't do that uh, with him. So. Uh, Yeah, I think that that's kind of what I mean. It's just outgrown it, and it was time to move on.
0: Yeah, and when you did move on, I mean, you have a pretty strong resume. The only loss on your resume is to Alexander Usyk, who is regarded as one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, certainly the best cruiserweight in the world, which is the weight class that you fought him at. Since then, you fought a great fight, entertaining fight with Martin Bacoli, Alexander Ustinov, who is a gatekeeper type at heavyweight, Sergei Kuzmin, same type of guy. And then Pavekin, you fought in a great fight uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I mean, did, did you have options after the matchroom release? And what were you kind of thinking over the last year?
7: Uh, I didn't really have too many options. Um, you know, top rank uh, doesn't, you know, their forte is in um, heavyweight fighters. Uh, um you know, especially African-American heavyweight fighters. Um, And uh, PBC, I had already been with. So uh, I I didn't really have too much of an option. Uh, My thing was always to continue to fight as many fights as I can, uh, you know, on a a solo base and, uh, you know, try to uh, find a way to get these big fights and, um, you know, before I had pushed, uh, I was the mandatory. I, was, I had, you know, these mandatory positions to uh, hold on to certain fights, and um, you know, it, you know, as time things evolve and stuff like that, uh, it ended up getting a, a great deal out of it. So,
0: you know, when when you, uh, you know, you said you had to go and look for the big fights. One of those fights, you were one of the few fighters out there willing to challenge Filip Herkovich. That was a guy that was looked at as high risk, low reward. Not a lot of guys willing to get in the ring with him. You said, I'll get in the ring with him. You were set up, it seemed like, to fight him for an IBF mandatory position. Walk me through kind of what happened there and why you decided to go in a different direction.
7: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, you know, this is an experience um, very few fighters really get to have uh with the purse bid and you know now this generation is having them uh is being involved more than than they ever have been involved so uh me being that type of uh you know lone star type of fighter uh I was uh doing my own business when it came to the purse bid uh it didn't really have to take come to the purse bid. Uh, they're supposed to negotiate with me, uh, you know, go, negotiate in good faith, uh, which they had a hard time doing. I know that them being silent, him, uh, meaning Team Sarland uh, and uh, Eddie Hearn, uh, didn't really contact me until a uh, very close towards the end, where you know I wouldn't have much of a time, much of a choice to uh, pick. And it was going to go to purse bid. And obviously, you know, me being a uh, not having any backing or not being under a, a promotion or promotional banner. Uh, they knew that, you know, I wasn't going to have any backing uh, to go to purse bid, or at least that's what they thought. Um, then they got wind of um, Triller uh, being involved and you know, at that time, Triller is uh, undefeated uh, when it come to purse bids. <laughs> and, uh I think that kind of put a little, uh, you know. I think that at first they, they didn't realize or, or didn't think that anybody was involved with them when they found out who it was, and uh, I think you know that's when we had a lot of different extensions. It was extended for another, you know, 15, 12, 15 days, and um, Eddie Hearn, Team Starlin, were able to reach out to um, reach out to Triller and kind of talk them out of bidding. Uh, as we know, if you know, if you followed the uh, bid, uh, Eddie was the only one to bid. Uh, and they said it like, uh, you know, like they knew they were going to be the only ones to bid. But originally they weren't. Uh, Triller was going to, you know, kick their butts when it comes to that. And I think they all <laughs> cared. And uh, it, and they did their they they did what they did as far as, you know, uh, calling them or whoever, whoever they contact them, which has not really been heard of. Uh, which is one of my first experiences with the uh, purse bid. Um, But I know that that's not, that's not very common to um, call other people's bid and find out what they're bidding or, you know, uh, to try to talk them out of the bid, which uh, he ended up doing, which was a success. And it kind of just moved and shifted some uh, deals and and money my way. So uh, shout out to um, Eddie Hearn and team Charlotte. (laughs) So,
0: with that fight off the table, you know, that was a at least a pathway to a mandatory position. What is your mindset now as you move your career forward? Um is it a multi-fight deal you have with Triller? Are you expecting to fight a couple more times or at least one more time after this this year? What is the game plan for Michael Hunter for the rest of the year?
7: Yeah, yeah, you know, um uh Dealing with the with the uh, with the mandatories right now, as you can see, uh, we it was still even a little shaky with me even having a mandatory position um, with all the time and everybody fighting everybody else. And, uh, you know, them missing and matching fights right at the top with Deontay Fury and um, and Anthony. Uh, so we we kind of didn't know, and people let, talking about they might let go of the belts if blah blah blah. So um, you know we want to get the big fights. We don't really want to uh, you know play with it. So uh, I, I think with Triller, um, the move for me is to stay busy, stay active, get my face out there. Um, you know, uh, consistently. You know, uh, sometimes I I've, I've been my my career has been a little bit too far. In between, um, you know, my fights and stuff. So I'm hoping to stay very active with with Triller, uh, a few fights and, um, you know, I'm already still in the top 10 in all sanctioning bodies. So uh, I could easily quickly get get up there to those those big guys and, um, you know, and demand certain fights, you know, so that's the plan.
0: Well, it's 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 funny. I was thinking about this when it comes to someone like Joe Joyce, where you know Joyce is now the mandatory. But who knows when that mandatory is going to be enforced? And I'll, I'll always forget. I always remember the Derek Chisora line of I'm not a heavyweight. I'm a moneyweight. And you go where the big money ultimately is. So along those lines, if you take Wilder Fury Joshua out of the situation, what's what's the money fight out there for you that you're eyeballing at this point?
7: Hmm. Uh I think uh Dillian White would be a good fight. I think um a lot of these guys, Joe Joyce, um, you know, Hergovich obviously they're not really willing and have the money to pay. Um, but if you know, if it, it ended up coming down to a certain position to where, you know, that's how I have to get these fights, then, you know, I am not obliged to it. I just uh it has to just be like you said, for the money, for the right positioning. Uh, to get the money. So uh, I think that, you know, a lot of the fighters, you know, tend to use on me uh, is that, you know, I don't have much of a name or, or, you know, fan base or blah, 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 which is uh, totally false and, 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 changed over since uh, for quite some time. And uh, I think it's going to continue to turn over uh, with me being on Triller uh, fighting at the Madison square um, you know and and being consistent you know uh Triller's doing different things right now with uh with the uh entertainment side and bringing different faces to boxing uh, with the celebrities and all that so uh, i think that me getting on these uh shows and fighting uh will definitely put my status up and and scream for um, on me to be the number one american heavyweight for sure
0: yeah i, I never really got the you know you don't have a fan base i mean it's you know you you're an entertaining fighter when you're out there i mean you know Bacoli was a wildly entertaining fight you know you fought a guy sure. who was a big puncher you took the fight directly to him you stop ustinov who's a big guy you knock kuzman down i mean you've had you're not out there you know just trying to jab your way to wins you're trying to take uh fights to guys is that part of your mindset like i i you know i, I know i need to win but i also need to win as spectacularly as i can
7: Yeah, definitely when you're, when you come from, you know, being on the B side and, you know, uh, you have to do, I always count myself two, two fights down, I mean, two rounds down. So uh, I usually have to, you know, have a fast pace early in the beginning and, um, you know, have some type of some, some excitement and and showcase my, you know, my guts and glory and that I really want it, you know. Um, And I think it shows uh, in every fight, Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not as easy to uh, to fight when you have all the odds against you, uh, you know, and uh, it 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 changes the, the the angles and the way you have to come at the fight. Um, but you know, I've been successful at it um, up until you know, I mean, to this point. And uh, I think that, like I said, me being on Triller is just gonna um, just put the icing on the cake for me, and have they're gonna have um, too much to say after this after these fights.
0: So I want to ask you one more thing. You, your only loss, as we mentioned, came to Alexander Usyk. He's going to fight Anthony Joshua in September. A lot of people are sit, looking at this as just being kind of a warm up opponent for Anthony Joshua before he gets to a Tyson Fury fight. Do you see it that way?
7: No, I think this is, this is a, not a real good fight for uh, Anthony Joshua. Um, not hating on Anthony Joshua, nothing, but you know, a lot of people, uh, thinking that Anthony Joshua is going to win. I, I kind of think the opposite, that this is going to be a boring fight um, and boring is going to go to Usyk. Um, you know, boring fights go, you know are going to go to the more fleet-footed fighter. And, uh, you know, maybe um, Anthony Joshua has a great game plan up his sleeve. Uh, I think that he would need to have a great game plan and implement it very, very well with this uh, type of fight, I think that, you know, heavyweights um, as a heavyweight uh, fight, we like to, well, they like to get, go through adversity, um, you know, get knocked down and, you know, uh, go through something they can triumph over um, to, you know, be outboxed and, you know, kind of touched up a little bit, not really hurt. You know, I can see that Usyk's not going to really hurt Anthony Joshua, but just hit him enough to, get the rounds in and, and, and win uh, is going to be very hard even for the rematch to uh, work on something to, uh, to, to to beat that. You know what I'm saying? So I think that this is a real – and if Anthony Joshua uh, does beat him, uh, this is going to be a, a new thing to his game that you're going to see. You're going to have to see a lot of new things that you haven't seen before, uh, a lot of um, different – maybe mindsets or or, uh, um, skills, um, you know, setting him up in in certain type of ways. I don't see him knocking out um, Usyk. Uh, We all know that uh, Anthony Joshua has a sneaky uh, uppercut, and um, I think that that's just not the right move or sneak move to uh, hurt uh, Usyk or to catch Usyk. I think you need a couple of different other sneaky moves, and and maybe he'll make some uh, during training camp. But I think that is not the best fight for Anthony Joshua. So if he wins, then, you know, he's going to do something spectacular.
0: How anxious are you for another shot at Alexander Usyk?
7: You know, uh, as time goes on, you know, you kind of get, you know, a little bit, you know, uh, away from it. But originally, you know, I I wanted to run that back the next day, you know. (laughs) Uh, That's just how I am as a fighter and a competitor uh you know I I really I wanted that immediately back I wish that you know we could have some type of um you know hey let's go back the next day and and repeat the situation uh but you know there's no there's no such thing but you know as time gone has gone on it's kind of you know um you know I'm learning to um deal with it and uh plot and plan on it you know i think that eventually is going to come at the end of my career um towards the end of of, you know for me having these big big fights uh that's definitely one that's going to be in my books is a rematch with Lucy.
0: that'd be a good fight no question but either way mike good to see you back in action uh, august 3rd against mike wilson that's a fight you can see on triller and i of course because i know mike loves it i will be scoring that fight so you can uh follow me on twitter so i can make sure i have mike uh down eight rounds to one, right? Like right around there, right early into the ninth. <laughs> I'll be down just like – I got to go back and watch the Pavekin fight. It's like an inside joke because Mike, uh, he, uh, he's, he called me out a couple of times for having Pavekin uh, winning that fight. Uh, but uh, at least I'm always 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 here to watch you you fight, Michael.
7: That's right. All, all good. All good. I really <laughs> appreciate this.
0: You got it, man. Good luck on, on Tuesday, and uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Eddie Hearn and Michael Hunter for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
1: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is